All right, so we're going to begin the way we begin here. Uh, before we jump into the passage and then the sermon, I want to talk to our young ones, our kids, let you know what this passage is going to be about and what the sermon is going to be about. So, uh, kids, i got a question for you. What, what's something that you think smells really good that others think stinks? Does anything come to mind? Like, do you think, like, is there something like, like I, th- I love that smell, and your brother, sister, somebody's like, oh, that stinks. Like, uh, Maisie, my, oh, Francis, go. Printer paper. What's that? Printer paper. <laughs> Good. Go ahead. Sharpies. That's what I was going to say. Maisie, my daughter, she loves you and her. Y'all can get together and smell Sharpies. Uh, uh, okay, cool. Sharpies, uh, printing paper. Go, Jersey. Hand sanitizer. That's gr- that is gross. Hand sanitizer. Okay, cool. Cool. Hand sanitizer. Any, any other ones? About like, uh, yes, go for it. Yes, like you open up new tennis balls. Black, great, yes, awesome, ball. Paint. <laughs> That's good. Okay, awesome, Annabelle. Nail polish. These are, uh, y'all, awesome, okay. What else? Anything like freshly cut grass? Anybody like that? Yeah, uh, chlorine. Anybody like the smell of chlorine? Sanders, yeah? Really? It's chlorine? Gross. I don't like chlorine. Uh, what about, uh, Peyton says uh, he really likes the smell, uh, what was it? Um, ga- he likes gas stations. Do you like, ga- do you like gas stations? Gas? Okay. Uh, and also like fireworks, like fire. He likes the smell of fire. Yes. Some people think fireworks smell like uh, rotten eggs. Clementine, you go. Did you have one? Okay. <laughs> okay. Go again. Go. What's another one? Birthday candles, yeah, like fi- yeah, that fire smoke, yes, good, Bly, very good. Um, any like, okay, so uh, like, there's fish. Anybody like the smell of fish? Some people love the smell of fish. I think it's good. That's kind of yucky. Girl, how about puppy breath? Yeah. Y'all do like puppy breath? Some people think puppy breath is just like it smells like dog food. Uh, but puppy breath is another one. Okay, hey, I think I told y'all this story. Maybe maybe it was a couple months ago, but this is really the kind of the best uh, uh, story I can think of for this. We, uh, we took Jax uh, and his grandfather and I went out to the country, went out to this farm uh, a couple months ago, and we're in the truck, and we let the dogs run, you know, when we're on the farm, we let the dogs run around on the farm next to the truck, and we're just driving along, and, and all of a sudden, we see Peppa. She takes this huge leap into the air, we're like, what is she doing? And she lands face first into a huge pile of cow poop, uh, a cow, what they call a cow patty, and she just rolls all over and in it. It was so disgusting. It was so gross. But that's not the worst thing she's ever done. Another time we're out uh, at the farm, this is like a year ago, we let her out in the morning to go run around, you know, and then she comes back for her breakfast and she comes back and she is covered in red stuff. And we figure out it's blood. She had found a dead armadillo and she rolled around head to toe, head to paw, covered in blood. I mean, it looked like, like it was the most disgusting thing. She smelled like, literally like death. <laughs> literally. And, and she, but to her, she thought like, this is the most sweet smelling, wonderful thing ever. I want it all over me. Uh, and so, so y'all like that is actually a picture of the gospel. 
really, really is. Did you know that the, go- the gospel of Jesus, like the good news about Jesus, like that's, it's like that. Like people who don't believe in Jesus, like they think the gospel stinks. As in like, wait, I have to believe in Jesus or I go to hell? Like that stinks. I don't like that. That smell, that's awful. I don't want to be around that. Same thing, the gospel of Jesus, we in the church, Christians, we believe the gospel of Jesus is like the sweetest smelling aroma ever. Like God became a man and Jesus lived for me and he died for me to save me. He took hell for me to save me from it. Even though I deserve the opposite of any good thing from God, he came for me, lived for me, died for me to take me to heaven and give me glory forever and ever and ever. Like that is that smells like eternal life. Like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard of, smelled, seen. Like, and, and what we want in the church is we actually want to be, what this passage is going to be about today is we want to be the aroma of Jesus to each other. So, like, when we get around each other, we want to smell like Jesus. We want to smell like love. We want to smell like grace. We want to be that for each other. We want to, like Peppa in that, bleh, which she thought smelled, we want to cover ourselves in the love and the grace of Jesus. We want to be that to each other. And even though the world thinks that stinks, we want to be that to the world because the world needs Jesus. They need to know the love and the grace of Jesus is for them too. And our prayer is that they would actually hope to start liking the smell of it. So we have just started our summer series in 2 Corinthians. This is uh, the letter that the Apostle Paul writes after 1 Corinthians, which we covered last fall. 1 and 2 Corinthians, they're written to the same church, but they're very, very, very different letters. 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with like, he hears about all these divisions and troubles in the church, and so he's just addressing like one division after another. Super systematic. Um, uh, The church did not respond well, though, to Paul's first letter. And this rebellion forms in the church. And it's, and it's against Paul, and it's led by one man. Uh, and Paul, actually, we're told that Paul goes and he visits this church, the Corinthian church, to quell this rejection of the gospel, because they're rejecting the gospel. But the church ends up siding with this other guy and rejecting Paul and sending Paul away. And so Paul leaves so hurt. He, he's in so much pain. He goes back to Ephesus. And he writes a letter that we actually do not have anymore by God's providence. This is like a super personal letter about this one guy. Uh, He writes this letter as a last-ditch effort to rebuke this guy and to encourage them to repent and come back to the gospel. And what Paul does is, because he's like the big, you know, they're they're just, he's the target. He actually sends Titus uh, to take this letter and then report back to Paul, like ASAP. Like, what do they say? What's their response? Now, the good news is that the Corinthians did respond to Paul's letter by, by putting this guy under church discipline. So you're like, yay. But without strong leadership, uh, this is what always happens, another bad group comes in and fills the vacuum. And Paul, later in the letter, we're gonna, like, this is where you would read the letter all at once, and you're kind of filling in the gaps of all of it. We, we're only in chapter 2. Later, Paul sarcastically calls these guys super apostles, because that's what they call themselves. Uh, and, and these guys are, they're a big deal in Corinth. They're like these super successful guys in Corinth. And so they revitalize that same narrative that the guy who's just disciplined, they, this, this prosperity gospel, that if you believe in God and you do good in life, then good things are going to happen to you. 
Life will go well with you. And this Paul guy, he preaches this a life is hard and then you die gospel. Uh, and, and his life is a total mess. And so he's actually really unqualified. He's not qualified to be an apostle. You should not listen to Paul. Like that's the occasion of this letter, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's the context for what we're jumping into this morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 4, says, For I wrote to you, this is that most recent letter, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain... He's caused it not, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority, it's enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, so, so gave you that broad context. Uh, before, before Paul heard the Corinthians' response like to that painful letter, to that last-ditch effort letter he sent, Paul leaves Ephesus. He heads to this town, Troas, where he's, he's planning to meet up with Titus because he wants to hear from Titus ASAP, like how did the Corinthian church respond? Uh, so he goes, to meet, he goes to meet Titus there, and Paul tells us here in chapter 2, in verse 12, that when he got to Troas, there was this, quote, open door to preach the gospel. And that's not just like an offhanded phrase. In, in the book of Acts, an open door, it means something. It means that there is no persecution from the city officials. There is no pers uh, persecution from the cultural elites, from the Roman authorities, or from the Jews. Like, there's no opposition to Paul preaching. And an open door means that there is an interest among the people in the gospel. So it's, it's, one thing to, it's one thing to not have the state telling you what you can and cannot say. It's another thing to have the freedom to preach and, and for people to actually want to listen and learn more. And that's what Paul's got going on. And then things go wrong. Things always, go, things always go wrong for Paul. You know, he either gets imprisoned or he gets attacked and beat up or he gets sick, you know, something like that. But this time, he is stressed out. He's having panic attacks. He says he's so overwhelmed with anxiety, he can't preach the gospel. He's so preoccupied waiting for Titus, 
waiting to hear how the church in Corinth is going to respond to his letter, he cannot focus enough on the awesome God-given opportunity that's right in front of him to preach the gospel to people who are eager to hear it. He's so worried that when Titus does not show up, Paul leaves Troas. He leaves. He wastes this opportunity. And he says, he says all this right after. We didn't read this part of 2 Corinthians, but he says all this right after explaining how he was supposed to go to Corinth. He, he had travel plans, and they changed. He knew he said he'd come, but he didn't come. Uh, you know, things happen. Things change. And, and you got to, like, so that bad news after this, you know, weird news, and you're like, how does Paul expect the Corinthians to receive this news? Like, there are, there are so many in the church that are all, they already do not like the gospel that Paul preaches, and their easy out is just to attack the messenger. They attack Paul. Like, he's unreliable. You cannot trust this guy's word. He, even when he says he's going to travel and come see us, like, he bails last minute, gives us some excuse. Like, how can you trust anything he has to say about God or about life? And he's always, he's all, and look, he's always getting into trouble. Like, he's always in a mess. That does not sound like God's leader. That does not sound like somebody that God is with or for. And then on top of that, Paul, with his big mouth, he admits that he had an awesome opportunity for ministry. But he's too emotional to tell people about Jesus, and so he walks away from it. Like, we would, we would have to expect all of that to raise more suspicion over whether Paul is fit for ministry. But Paul expects them to receive that news differently. Because, because in one verse, in one verse, Paul says he was too emotionally unstable to preach the gospel with this awesome opportunity. And then in the next verse, he thanks God for leading him in triumph. I mean, like, okay, wait. How is a blown ministry opportunity because of your emotional instability? Like, how is that Jesus leading you and us in triumphal procession? Like, explain that. Like, how is that, how is your emotional instability, how is that spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere through you? Well, the answer is actually in Paul's claim itself. That, that phrase, leading us in triumphal procession, it's actually not a phrase, it's a word. It's, it's one word in the Greek. It is one very, 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 very specific word that everybody, know, everybody knows this word. Uh, in ancient Rome, uh, there was this thing called uh, the triumph. It's just called the triumph. And it's this Roman military triumphal procession. So when a Roman general returned victorious from war... Uh, there would be this elaborate parade running through through all the streets of Rome. Isn't like our World Series parade back in 2017? Like it was a really, really special big party. It was awesome. The British Queen she just finished celebrating a platinum jubilee, marking 70 years of service to the people of United Kingdom, the realms and the commonwealths. You know, big deal. It was a big, if you watched it on TV, like it was a big deal. It was super elaborate and fancy. Okay, this Roman triumphal procession, it was bigger. It was more intense. This is the highest honor that could be bestowed on a Roman general. 
and it's the most rare honor that could be bestowed on a Roman general. They did not do that. They did not, like, this is not a common thing, like, oh, hey, we just won another battle. Like, let's do this. They didn't do this for every victorious Roman general. There was a, there was a bar. There was, like, a gold standard. So to get this triumphal procession, you had to meet some criteria. Things like the general uh, had to actually be the commander-in-chief on the field of battle itself. Like, that's one. Another one would have been like the military campaign. It had to actually be completely finished, like it's done. Uh, also, the foreign enemy territory, it had to be completely pacified, and the Roman troops had to be brought home safe. And you had to have, this is another random one, you had to have at least one battle in this campaign where you killed over 5,000 enemy troops. Uh, and the general had to actually gain some territorial expansion. So, like, you've got all this criteria, and the Senate's, like, arguing over, okay, are we really going to throw this guy a, a triumph? Okay, you know, and then they vote on it. You, you, you did not have a parade like this every week. You did not have one of these things every year. If you lived long enough, maybe you actually got to see one, and you got to be a part of this awesome party. There's food. There's parties all in the streets during this thing. It's, a, it's this huge, there's musicians everywhere. Sometimes the procession was longer than the route itself. Which is like, <laughs> so, so basically, it's a lot of standing around, and a little walking and marching every, every now and then. It lasts for days. The Roman general, he's the highlight of the procession. Like He's the big deal in the procession. He's pulled in a chariot by four horses, and he wore fancy togas, and there was this slave who carried a crown hovering above his head. Uh, and the general's face would be painted red, uh, as in like he, he's made to look like the Roman god Jupiter, you know, their version of Zeus, as if the general was the son of God. And there were elephants, there are elephants in this thing, and they're painted up. There are priests everywhere, and they're spreading incense, and they're dancing. Uh, there are Roman sol the Roman soldiers are there, and they're in fancy togas, and they are unarmed because they don't need their weapons anymore. Mission accomplished. Uh, and finally, there's, a there's another group of people who are being pulled by chains. And these are the prisoners of war. These, these are like the, the opposing generals and princes the country uh, of the country that Rome had just conquered. So thousands of people are lining the streets and they're cheering the general and they're booing the prisoners of war. And the parade ended, it ended at the Roman Forum uh, and there were pre and the priests there, they offer up sacrifices to the gods for the victory. And there were two big white bulls that capped off the, the sacrifices. Uh, and then the real climax of the parade they executed the prisoners of war in this big spectacle. Okay, so everyone knew what this word Paul uses. Everyone knew what that word referred to. And Paul uses this word to paint the picture of the gospel. <laughs> this is what, Paul says, this is what the gospel's like. He says, the picture is Jesus is leading this, triumph, this triumphal procession. So Jesus is the triumphant general. Paul, who is Paul? He's the prisoner. Paul is the enemy captive being pulled in chains. Paul is the one who is being booed by the crowds as he's being led to his execution, which, you know, better than, more than he realizes, most of the apostles do end up being martyred. 
Paul says he's a prisoner of war, he's defeated, he's captured by Jesus, and Jesus is parading Paul through a life of suffering on the way to his death. <laughs> okay, wait, why is that a good word picture for like how God treats his leaders of his church? Paul answers that too. Paul says, Jesus parades them this way in order to, quote, spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. The Roman uh, uh, triumphal procession is just as much about the smells as it was about the sights and sounds. I think the people love the priests spreading that incense everywhere, that perfume everywhere. And then the sacrifices at the end and the executions, the people loved those smells. But that smell of death to them, it's the smell of victory. This is Paul's explanation of how he can admit his messy life on the one hand and on, then on the other hand boast in thanks to God for God's triumph in Paul's life. It's this, if you believe in Jesus, then when you see Paul's mess of a life, all of his losses, all of his failures, all of his suffering, you smell victory. You smell salvation if you believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, then when you see Paul's mess of a life, you smell death. How, which begs the question, like, okay, wait, how can, how can this same gospel so attract some and so repel others? My, my dad and uh, his brother, uh, my uncle, got into wine some years ago. And uh, when they were first getting into wine, they had their wine guy, this guy Christopher, uh, who, their buyer, who uh, you know, set up their first tasting for them. So they go to this uh, tasting. The tasting begins. They open a bottle and then another, and they are loving it. They're lo these wines, the bouquets, the, the fragrances, the, the sweetness, the spices, uh, all the savoring each smell, savoring each taste as they're being trained to do this. Like each sip, each taste is better than the one that came before. And they are told as each one gets better and better, they're saving the best for last. And they get to the last bottle. And Christopher pours and he reminds them, okay, wait, first you look. Like turn the glass observe. What do you see? Okay, now smell. Inhale. Like really, really take it in. What do you smell? And Tim and my dad, they smell, and then they, they start sniffing like, and, and they're repulsed because they know this scent. And they say, Christopher, that smells like cow manure. That's the PG version. Um, and their wine guy answers back, no, that's barnyard. It is perfectly aged and magnificently giving up the aroma of earth. And my dad and Tim, they look at each other and they say, we love it. <laughs> the, the gospel, it is, it's pungent. Like it's, it's intense. It's got all these notes. You know, the first notes of the aroma of the gospel, it is, oh, you are dead in your sins and you are guilty and you are deserving of eternal condemnation. And before you die and suffer that terrible eternity in this life, you are corrupted and you are enslaved to your sin. 
But those aren't the only notes of the aroma of the gospel. It is also these notes of you must therefore humble yourself and you must believe in Jesus. That he lived for you and that he died for you. And you have got to trust that glory awaits, but not in this life. In this life, you will suffer and then you will die. Then the glory comes. You think about it like, what about the cross? What is the aroma of the cross? The world, when they look at the cross, they see a pitiful man. Maybe he was a liar. Maybe he was a con artist. Maybe he was misunderstood. Either way, there is a poor Jew who had his 15 minutes of fame, who was bigger than life, and now there he is, discredited, tortured, weak, an embarrassing mockery. Crucified, hanging shamefully naked on a Roman cross. Like, what a waste. And 2,000 years later, it's, and what a joke. Like, and claiming that Jesus is the only way to live forever, that is distasteful. That is gross. If you do not believe in Jesus, the gospel stinks. It smells rancid. Like, it smells rotten. It smells awful. Who wants anything to do with that gospel? But to us, Christians, the execution of Jesus, the smell of his death, it is the smell of victory. Because on the cross, Jesus triumphed over our sin and our death. If you do believe in Jesus, then that gospel, it's the aroma of life. And yes, in the midst of our messy Christian life of suffering and weakness, the gospel of Jesus to us, it is the sweetest, most intoxicating smell of triumph. <clears throat> the world will say, the world will say that Jesus is exclusive that this gospel, his gospel is exclusive, it stinks. And they will say that, listen, anyone can live forever and have a good afterlife if they live a good life. Okay, well, that, that news is also exclusive. That message is also exclusive. And, and that message, to me, it stinks and it's repulsive because it's not good news for me. Because I am not good enough. I know I don't, and I know I can't do this life good enough to earn a good life after this one. And neither can you, and no one can. If you accept that God shows himself powerful in our weakness, then we do not have to be embarrassed that Paul was a mess or that we are a mess. <clears throat> I was talking, talking to one of you uh, earlier this week, and you said, I'm trying so hard to do this season of life right. Is it okay that I'm doing it so poorly? Yeah. Because your salvation is all of Jesus, and saving you is glorifying to him. I mean, think about that. Even the good things, uh, another pastor, Todd Bordeaux, who's been a big help in Second Corinthians, he's going to come preach for us in a couple weeks, like, points out, like, even the good things of God, like, that God has given to the church to strengthen us and help us. Think about, y'all, prayer, the Bible, like, pouring water on adults and babies 
accidentally sometimes, you know, waterboarding babies and like um, eating tasteless bread and drinking little sips of, of wine, like worship, preaching a sermon. Like what, y'all, what is weaker than the, that's what we do. What's weaker than the church? And we are, we are the stench of death to the world. Like you are, you are offensive. You are an odious smell to those who do not have faith. It makes sense that they do not want to be around it. But they need it. They need the gospel. They need the grace and the love of Jesus. God's ways, they always seem foolish to us. Like, what's going, like, who is going to find any of this church gospel stuff? Like, who's going to find that stuff attractive? Like, who's going to find that thing, like, oh, that's a wonderful fragrance? Like, who wants to hear what we have to say about the meaning of life or about the, the beginning and the end of, of uh, the one story that we're all a part of? Like, who wants to hear what we have to say about what's right, what's right and what's wrong, what sin and death really are? Like what our real problem is and what our only hope is. Who wants to hear what we have to say about Jesus? Who, who wants to hear any of that from us? Those that Jesus has conquered and claimed for his own. Like God will accomplish his victory without us compromising his gospel and without us having to deny our weaknesses. The Roman triumph it happened once in a lifetime. Paul says Jesus is, it says, quote, it says he is always, always leading us in triumphal procession. That means it's on right now. Right now, we are being led in this triumphal procession. So let's continue to be the aroma of Jesus to each other. Like, let's smell like the gospel and attract one another more and more to Jesus as we follow him together. Like, let's be about Jesus's grace for weak people. Let's give off that scent to one another here. And, y'all, those that are booing us as we are being paraded through this life, let's encourage them to join us, to, to, to breathe in deeply this love and this grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you uh, for your story, your one story about your son coming and doing for us what we can't do, and we pray that we would continue to be about that one story, that we wouldn't be about anything else. We pray that you would help us to hold on to Jesus and hold him out to each other, to know his love and his grace more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today. Father, give us that perseverance to continue to run to our Lord and Savior. What other message is there? There is no other hope. There is no other way. Father, help us in our lives out in the world to also, as we have opportunity, to share that love and that grace, that gospel, with anyone who wants to hear it, because it's for anyone just as much as it is for us. We pray that you would bless the mission of this church to that great end, of raising up the name of your son. Father, we long for the day where we actually get to hold, see, smell our Lord and Savior and to glorify and to party and to be in that celebration forever and ever and ever. Lord Jesus, we pray, come quickly.
It's in our Lord and Savior's name that we pray. Amen.